and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. My name is Courtney. And we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. So we're on our second episode of 2021. We are, and we're going to continue the theme a little bit. Last week, we were in the middle of um, an insurrection at our country's capital. And we kept it short and sweet. Um, and not surprisingly, kind of that, that the, the, the aftermath of that event has continued to dominate. And uh, there is still very much a lot of discussion going on about how do we effectively handle discussions about these kinds of things. Events that seem to be really politicized. And uh, one thing that I've been thinking and talking about with a lot of a lot of educators here in Maine recently is kind of how do we shift? What do we need to do and to shift from just always reacting to just being prepared to have these kinds of conversations so that when events like this happen, because let's be honest, they're going to continue to happen, whether it's something related to COVID or another disease or vaccination or uh, civil rights or Black Lives Matter or elections or democracy, um, this isn't going away. So how do we support the education community in just being able to operate in a stance that can absorb and easily handle these kinds of events and these kinds of conversations that are needed. I think that's a great thing that you that you're bringing up that these things just because we're in the midst of an insurrection right now doesn't mean when this ends that all these hard difficult events just go away, right? That, that this is going to be ongoing um all the time with hopefully not the insurrection all the time, but uh, other things. Uh and I, I think yeah. it would be it would be nice if uh, educators and schools and districts had a way to uh, really respond nimbly to it. And that's my word of the day is nimbly. Yes, yes. That's a fantastic word. Uh, thank you. Uh, so what what are some of the things that that uh, you and your group have uh, have talked about when uh, when when bringing up this subject well i think it, so some of uh some of the things have been what we talked a little bit about last week like kind of in the classroom right almost like starting your year or starting now with introducing kind of clear rules of engagement right around discussion um and holding to them um but then and so kind of let's let's continue along the lines of classroom level first right and then maybe we can go bigger level like from a district perspective what what might that look like so from a classroom level um it's about classroom culture so uh two things that i think are fantastic and there's more out there of course but two two concrete items two things to do one is to make this idea of um, 
critically analyzing uh, a source for credibility to make that a standard routine. So anytime a text or multimedia material is introduced into it, anytime, <laughs> I'm gonna say that again, anytime, um, anytime a text or some kind of video or other resource is introduced into the classroom that will be used for learning or discussion in some way, the first thing to do with it is to look at it and evaluate it for credibility. So who's the author? What do we know about this author? What perspective does this author represent? What are some potential biases, if any? Um, what are the what are the perspectives and voices that might be missing from this text or this resource? Um, so kind of going through just that quick, um, is it a credible resource? You know, is this author, um, do we see them being published in a variety of places or is it one it, like, and there are tools out there to support you with kind of crafting these. Um, and like any process, right, at the beginning of the year when you do this, it takes longer, but then over time it just becomes a habit. So when that kind of routine is established that no matter what, we always look at credible, you know, we always look at a resource and kind of bring a critical eye to it for its credibility. Um, then it isn't suddenly something that feels like it might be a biased activity in itself. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense uh, because one of the things I've been I've been seeing on Twitter and and looking at some some different things over the last week or so about about the events in the Capitol is that you see a lot of videos with a with a biased eye, I guess, right? Yeah. And a lot of the ones that you see, which look a lot more uh, peaceful, seem to be taken by uh, people with an agenda. And I think right. the, the one of the ideas that, that you're talking about is hopefully um, talking about facts and things that can be verified yes, uh, and don't have a lean towards untruth, basically, uh, or a, yes. a particular agenda. So uh, I agree with you that, that it's, a, it's not just a, a good idea in these times, it's a good idea in general, obviously, right? We talk about media literacy all the time uh, yes. in, in schools now that this is just good practice for life, not just for being in, in school. Um, right. But I, I think I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly about developing those uh, procedures, uh, not just in the classroom, yeah. but in, in the schools and in districts. Yeah, yeah. And so we, we can kind of get to that um, also. So like just a quick example of this, like if I'm in health class and I'm talking about, um, you know, sugar, or I'm making this up off the top of my head right now, I'm talking about like, you know, sugar content um, or so, you know, and looking at sodas or something like I would do this kind of activity when I'm bringing an article from say, like, you know, the American Heart Association and when I'm bringing an example of an advertisement um, and when I'm bringing an example of, you know, something written by, um, let's say, you know, a sports star who is sponsored by 
a, a, an energy drink company, right? Like, so that it isn't all of a sudden we're looking at articles and videos about, you know, uh, Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden my teacher is saying, oh, we have to be looking for, you know, make sure it's credible. And uh, that like when you when you bring that sudden attention to reliability and credibility to a highly politicized situation, it actually works against you with, with a lot of people. Right. I it, it's funny what you're what... Yeah, so if you've done it all year long with chocolate milk, with energy drinks, with, um, you know, uh, <laughs> book reviews, if you've done it all year long with everything, it doesn't feel like a threatening exercise. It's funny because what you're reminding me of as you say that is when we talk about uh, learning targets and how to move yeah. up the taxonomy. And uh, when we, we had our whole series on, on grading and what fours were like, uh, what you said is exactly the same type of situation that you don't, you don't have two dimensions that you're working with, uh, you don't have a harder learning target and a higher level of taxonomy uh, because that's just too much, right. too much to do, right? So uh, it related right. to me when you said, okay, we're learning about this new thing and how to, how to react to something uh, by looking at sources, but you also have that other dimension of a highly whether it's controversial or highly politicized or highly um, challenging yeah. type of situation where you bring in different biases. Uh, start with just the stuff that people know, you know, sports and soft drinks. And, you know, that that's pretty much two things that yeah. high schoolers are all over is drinking a Red Bull while throwing <laughs> basketball around. Um, so it's nice that it, what you just said relates back to a lot of the things we've been talking about that are just longer term things for education anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then another one that goes along with that, which I think I talked a little bit last week is it's also setting a culture thing. It's setting a culture of discourse. So from the get go, teaching learners and supporting learners with how to agree with someone, how to disagree with someone, how to agree with someone and build upon their thinking, how to ask someone to clarify their sources, right? Like how to ask someone to clarify their point, like that, whether you call it academic discourse or, um, uh, you know, just accountable talk, there's lots of different words for it. But starting off the year, expecting that level of discourse, even if you're talking about your favorite flavor of chewing gum, then again, it's a process that's familiar. And when you're in those highly charged situations, it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel threatening or new uh, to have to use that. I would highly agree with that. This sounds like a pretty nice way to to not just do things right now there's still six months left in this school year we can oh, start yeah. we can start those uh, more basic conversations uh with kids right now using yep. the techniques you've just asked about yeah 
Yeah. And the, the one more thing that I thought about today that I actually think might be worth it for every single teacher to do at the beginning of the year, when uh, regardless of your age level that you teach or the subject that you teach, in addition to these two things, right, of building a routine of, of um, evaluating sources for credibility and uh, establishing this routine and culture of respectful academic discourse is to talk about what the First Amendment actually means and what free speech is and is not. <laughs> that is outstanding because I am seeing a lot of misinterpretations of the First Amendment all over the place this past week. Yes. Yeah, and, and being very clear about, show, you know, show them the language, put it into, you know, understandable language for their, bring it to the level that they can understand, but make it very clear what is protected and what is not. Right. And make it very clear that in that classroom, um, unprotected speech is not okay. Right. So a lot of uh, people misinterpret the First Amendment as I can say whatever I want and you can't stop me. Um, right. But there's always the, the counter argument of you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And right. Oh, that is that that is the X, the the like prize explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, well, there's also a, a lot of things that when I used to work in in retail and people said people always came in when they were just angry with me or angry with somebody, usually me. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I can do whatever I want in here. You know, it's a free country. And I'm like, well, no, you know, it's technically private property. Oh, yeah. And uh, you you don't have those rights yeah. in here. Um, the First Amendment is about government limitations of free speech, not individual uh, private spaces or anything. Um, so just free speech is not always what people think it is. And it's not, uh, as you said, it's not always protected. Uh, you have to be careful of, of when it is. And it, the more people would learn about these things, uh, I think they'd have a better idea of what is uh, correct free speech and what isn't. Yeah. So I think, I think those are three solid things that can happen in the classroom level. I mean, there's a ton of other ones, but um, to, to build those kinds of cultures and then to <laughs> out of the gate highlight uh, what's acceptable and what is not acceptable, what is, pro what is protected, what's not protected. Right. Um, just so that, um, so, then, so then we get to this level, right, in the discussions where, yes, we all agree to all of these things as teachers, as supporters of teachers, and here's the big but. But what about the the adults and the community members and the people in my learning community who aren't going to agree with us, right? What about the people that are going to come in and yell at me if I do an anti-racism lesson? What about the people who are going to tell me that, um, I don't know, what is it, like Breitbart News or something like, or like that information found off of some extremist website, left or right, is credible, right? Uh, what about them? 
do you think that's a valid concern yeah. of teachers? I have such mixed feelings about it. Yes. Yes. It is I, a valid concern. Yes, I would say that too. And you can And I want people yes. to not care about it. Yep. And do what they know is right. Agreed. So here's what a district can do to make sure their teachers feel like they can. Number one is administrators be prepared to take the heat. Mm -hmm. right, right. Tell teachers that if you have a parent that's coming or a community member that's coming in because of X, Y, and reasons, like I will take over and I will handle it. That's number one. Let your teachers know you will protect them. Number two is to have very clear policies and procedures and statements in writing. So the school board, right, is where you will have the policies um, and statements. Procedures can happen in the school level as long as they uh, support and match district policy. Right. So some important policies to have in place. Number one is a very, very clear policy on the selection of curriculum materials. Not necessarily on the materials themselves, but on the selection of curriculum materials. Can you explain the difference between what you just said? Sure. So you might have, it would be weird, but you, a district might have a policy that says like, we only use Pearson products. That would be very strange, <laughs> but I suppose it could happen. So that would be a policy that states what the curriculum material being used is, right? Okay. Um, I'm talking policy. I'm not talking like, you know, collective decision or commitment or, or whatever. I'm talking straight up policy. Um, this is what the school board creates. What most school boards have, and if find out if your school board does and what it says, and if it isn't, um, I encourage you to lead the charge to get one to happen, um, is a policy on the selection of curriculum materials. So something that really lays out who gets to decide what kind of curriculum materials are used in the schools and how that decision is made. I think that helps a lot. Um, I, am, I am honestly not sure how many districts have a policy like that in place right now. Mm. about how those decisions are made and who are the appropriate parties uh, that would yeah. make those decisions. That's a, that's a great question. Right. Um, and then it, it's a super important one to have because if you don't have one, then it is much easier for the public and for parents to challenge the materials that are being taught in the classroom and that are being used. I, I think a lot of uh, districts have a policy about challenging materials. So they have yes, that end, totally, yeah. but without the other end, yeah, I can see how that might be a little more awkward yeah. for, for a school district. Right. Okay. I, I, um, so the other piece of this that is an important policy that kind of dovetails with the selection of curriculum materials policy is an academic freedom policy. 
which basically states to some degree, and, and maybe we can find some examples of these to share, but that has to do with giving teachers the ability to choose some of the materials they do use. Uh, would that be without any supervision at all? Um, I, I don't think it would say something like that. I think it would probably have lots of po policy language that speaks to like within um, within appropriate developmental bounds and you know things like that. Okay. Because it would be it would be in and among also like acceptable use policies or sexual harassment policies or diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. So it's just that that's the, that's the piece where it's like, look, a teacher doesn't necessarily have to get permission to use something like a, um, uh, uh, like a, a C, like a CNN student news video. Okay. Okay. Sounds good so far. Yeah. Um, and then another one to, to discuss and to have, which you just kind of mentioned, like um, a controversial conversation or controversial material policy. So I was reading something on Twitter this week, uh, which reminded me of this. Um, and a teacher was responding to the, you know, let, let's keep politics out of the classroom. Uh -huh. And the response was, uh, I'm a history teacher. Like, what else do you think I teach? And it's part of what we do. And you you can't keep politics out of it. Uh, but I think a lot of the things that, that you've laid out today give some, give some boundaries uh, as to acceptable ways to have that discourse with our learners and the materials that are used to inform that discourse. Uh, yes. Yeah, I, 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 it's impossible to keep politics out of the classroom. Uh, it's, it's part of who a kid is these days. Um, yeah. Young people are much more engaged than they were uh, when I was a kid back in the 1800s, that's for sure. So uh, I think having some of these bounds are a good way to frame the discussion. And so there's one more idea I want to, to bring up that I don't know if this would necessarily be a policy, but certainly could be a statement that is put out by a school district and, you know, um, supported by a school board or a superintendent or, you know, building principals or local school unions or things like that. But a statement that specifies and highlights the connection between civil and human rights protections and the curriculum. I'm interested in some of the background behind this. Yeah, it's uh, probably more than <laughs> we can cover in our podcast today. Sure. But <laughs> this idea comes out of kind of the discussions around holding and allowing for these kinds of conversations in a way that protects civil rights. For example, 
Um, kind of the example that has come up in some of the discussions I've been having is that um, Black Lives Matter is a civil rights issue, mm -hmm. right? And so that being able to state that in a classroom is not a political statement. So having a statement that makes that connection um, would support that teacher in doing things like that. I like that. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, and, and also going further, thinking through um, kind of this idea, which makes me, it's an uncomfortable idea for me to talk about, um, is when people say that we need to be giving voices to all sides. Mm -hmm. Well, if we think about the insurrection last week, do we have to give voices to uh, racists and people who hold up the Confederate flag? You mean traitors? Yes. Yeah, uh, I think that's and there are some a very people, fair point. There are some people who will say yes for a variety of reasons, including people who say yes because they're coming from the position of we should be inviting everybody into every conversation in any way we can. Um, in, and people who are saying yes because they believe in that worldview and they don't see anything wrong with people having um, flown the Confederate flag as they stamp, you know, stampeded and trampled and vandalized their way into the Capitol. So there are people of varying mindsets that would say that uh, those perspectives should be included. But so, but, and then kind of the, the complicating line is civil and human rights. Mm -hmm. I like so. the, uh, I like that frame of how you've done that, that you have an overarching statement as a, as a district, that this is, uh, our curriculum flows through whatever statements that we have here. Um, I like, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so those are some kind of light, easy things for you to think about and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really simple, simple, fun. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's, uh, that's a nice, positive way to end uh, this week's podcast, Courtney, I would say. <laughs> uh, but I, th I think you've given you've given me and our listeners, I think, a lot to think about. Uh, about these conversations going forward. Um, as you said, we talked a little bit last week while we were in the moment. Yeah. And now that we've had a week to reflect a little bit, I think uh, we put some good information out there for our listeners. So uh, if anybody has feedback you'd like to share with us, uh, you can go right to our website and drop it on the parking lot. You can always uh, tweet at us at PLearnMC or find us on our Facebook page at the same uh, PLearnMC. Right, we're just now we're all talking. Doesn't matter where we're alone.